Today's episode of Growing Pains with David Campbell on the Unsettled Media Podcast Network is brought to you by the It's the Economy Stupid blog. That's David's blog. It's a blog about economic development in Atlantic Canada. Let's get to the show. Welcome, listeners, to another edition of Growing Pains, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to economic development in Atlantic Canada. Today is November 4th, 2020, and Dr. Petra Hauf, Vice President of the University of New Brunswick, St. John, joins us to talk about an exciting new project, the Integrated Health Initiative and the new Center for Integrated Health at the University of New Brunswick, St. John. This exciting new project is expected to bring hundreds of new students each year to the port city and support tens of millions of dollars in new economic activity in the city. Readers of my blog and listeners to this podcast will know that I believe post-secondary education will have an even more important role in the next 10 to 20 years than it has had in the past. New Brunswick has more people than ever retiring from the workforce, and we have many challenges for which universities in particular, as clusters of intellectual horsepower, are well positioned to help us address St. John in particular needs to get back to growing its population, its workforce, and its economy in the coming years, and UNB St. John should be an important catalyst for this growth. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Hauf on the role of the University of New Brunswick St. John as catalyst, particularly in the area of healthcare. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, Dr. Hof, why don't you tell us about your background and your journey to UNB uh, St. John? How did you end up in in the Port City? Well, that's a it's actually an interesting journey, as you can hear from my accent. I am not originally from Canada. I came here in two thousand six uh, from Germany, and I actually came with a Canada Research Chair program that was recruiting at that time new talent uh, to Canada. And I landed in Nova Scotia and uh, have been there for almost the entire time. And about 20 months ago, I made the move to come to St. John and um, was inspired by the vision that um, UNB had for the future um, of UNB, but also for the future of the St. John campus. So, well, we're glad to have you here. We like, uh, we, we're going to need a lot more imports in the coming years. So thank you for landing uh, uh, or ending up in New Brunswick. So we want to talk about this morning an exciting new initiative uh, at the University uh, in St. Mm-hmm. John, the Integrated Health Initiative. This is building on the efforts uh, related to health uh, education at the university. Of course, it's building on St. John's role as the largest center for healthcare in New Brunswick. So why don't you give us a, a summary of what the Integrated Health Initiative is uh, and what you're trying to accomplish with that new program? So I'm, I, um, the Integrated Health Initiative is a big, bold response to the need of um, a reform in our health sector in New Brunswick in particular, but in general. And it, it actually has five different pillars. And I think this is the uniqueness about the Integrated Health Initiative because it combines different areas and it's not only one of many. So we have the education piece where it's about new academic programming, preparing students, bold thinkers for the next generation of problem solvers, research, of course, as UMB is the only comprehensive university in New Brunswick. So research is our mandate and is at our core. Um, Innovation, 
health innovation and social innovation. Uh, being in Zhengzhou now for almost two years, we have challenges in our region that we have to address. Uh, general, um, poverty, um, the healthcare system and all, all those. So, so basically innovation, doing things differently, having a social impact um, and a societal impact but commercialization as well. So if you have great ideas and have uh, great uh, approaches, why not commercializing them and making them applicable for people and their needs? And then last but not least, you need to center an infrastructure that actually allows all this to happen. And this is the new health and social innovation center that we're planning to build on the St. John campus. Is it gonna have a new building? Are you building a new uh, physical building? Yes, that's a plan. So uh, in order to realize such a bold vision, you have to have the space that makes this actually happen. And uh, so the plan is to build a 65,000 square foot building on the campus where the, where the library, the World Chipman Library is located right now, that is conducive to actually exactly achieve this, the teaching, the educating, the, the research space to attract top-notch researchers to, to our campus and to the region and an innovation hub teaching and learning center and all, all those features that are needed. And we need that space to, to make this really happen. So how many students do you think you're going to be attracting? What's the target? So with the undergrad program that we launched, so the Bachelor of Health is, an, is a new integrated and interdisciplinary approach uh, to health that brings together like the social sciences, the biomedical sciences and business administration, which is really, really unique. There's no other program like this in, in Eastern Canada. And um, we are expecting, plus the grad programs that we're building on top of it, we're expecting in the next five to six years about 500 additional students coming to the St. John campus. Wow, that's, that's a pretty significant number. How, what does is. That, how is that in relation to the overall uh, enrollment? What kind of increase would that be? That would be about a 25% increase. Okay, so pretty impressive. So this is really going to be the anchor program now at the UMB St. John or the largest program or one of the largest? It, it will be one of the largest and it builds on an academic plan that the campus has developed a couple of years ago where they identified three major um, focus points, health, and then of the other one, no surprise, coastal studies. Like we have a, um, an outstanding marine biology program that we're known for across Canada and then business and community. And um, everyone who lives in St. John and knows the region is, where if there's one thing that is important to everyone here, it is community. Mm. So uh, as you know, this is a podcast about economic development in Atlantic yeah. Canada. So we are specifically interested in how, uh, how you grow places or have sustainable and prosperous communities in places like St. John and New Brunswick and across Atlantic Canada. We have specific challenges in this region, right? Mm -hmm. We're not large mm -hmm. like uh, Ontario or Quebec, or we don't have very large urban centers like Toronto or Montreal. So we have fairly uh, specific challenges here. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a few questions about the economic development uh, implications of this project. A few years ago, I looked at the ratio of university and college students as a share of the labor force or relative mm -hmm. to the size of the labor force. And St. John's at the low end across Canada in terms of metropolitan area. So it has relatively few if you compare it to even Moncton, but, all, but specifically Halifax, you know, Guelph uh, yeah. and other urban centers across the country. So I think it is very important to look at the University of New Brunswick, St. John in a new light as a talent pipeline for St. John. St. John, of course, its economy has not grown the way they would like 
it to have grown in the last few years. It has very specific issues and challenges, as you pointed mm-hmm. out earlier. It's very focused internationally. It's got a lot of, it's exposed to the international economy more than, say, Fredericton or Moncton is. So I really like the sound of what you're talking about here, but I did want to ask you a few questions related to uh, economic development. So first of all, what about international students? Do you anticipate some share of those 500 coming from outside Canada? Yes. Um, Because it's a unique program, it will attract students from across the country, but also from international, um, from, from different countries. And it's important for me, like recruiting international students for me is, is about diversifying student body and um, sharing different cultural backgrounds. So I don't like the approach of international students coming because they bring money. They, of course, they are paying tuition as other students are uh, as well. But the most important part for me is about getting those students here, having programs available for them that are actually important to them, whether they want to stay in the country, which we hope because we, we want to have a population growth here in the St. John region, but also like that that fits their, their own needs in their countries if they want to go back home. The health program is uh, of interest as health is important in every country. And it's not only like while we talk a lot about the healthcare crisis in New Brunswick, it is not a crisis that is specific for New Brunswick. The entire world is is dealing with the challenges in the health uh, healthcare systems, and with COVID nineteen right now, we see where where we are and where our limits are. So yes, I anticipate that students are coming from international um, from other countries to the campus. Um, we have had a very strong history in actually recruiting international students to the St. John campus in the past. And uh, what we are trying to do now is instead of focusing on one or only two countries. We are diversifying also the the countries that we are recruiting from to ensure that we have that that really this mix of diversity, but also are not reliant on a specific country and a specific government in a country to ensure that students are actually able to come. Yeah, that reliance on Saudi Arabia or one country or two countries can be a bit of a challenge, no doubt. so I like the approach, right? I, I've never been a big believer, particularly at the university level, that we should be trying to calibrate the supply and demand of university graduates, right? I mean, I see no problem with graduating lots of individuals from your programs that end up elsewhere in Canada or elsewhere in the world. What's wrong yeah. with that? Then you have kind of ambassadors for St. John or people that have lived in St. John, you know, located in other parts of the world. So I think that's great. We know that talent is mobile around the world. Mm. Uh, and if you're graduating uh, talent and they're dispersing around the world, that's great. I assume a lot of them will stay in New Brunswick naturally yes. if there's opportunities yeah. here for them. So I think yeah. it makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk to you a little bit about research. Mm-hmm. Of course, St. John, one of St. John's other challenges is there's not a lot of um, higher education-based research relative, again, to some of its peers yeah. like Halifax or, or even Fredericton, of course. So it's good to see this. This does uh, indicate a significant increase in research funding. Do you are you is that public yet? Are you able to tell us roughly what the targets are in terms of research funding? Yeah, like if you look at the Integrated Health Initiative, research is one of the major pillars, and research is also one of the strategic pillars of the UMB, uh, the new uh, strategic plan under the leadership of Dr. Matherall. So. Um, and research, we are a comprehensive university, as I said before, the so research is at our core. So what we were looking at when we were designing this integrated health initiative is what research clusters would we actually need 
that complement what we have already. We have a strong hospital with research capacity, like with, around cardiovascular research as an example. We have Dalhousie Medicine New Brunswick on the Tucker Park campus uh, with researchers in the biomedical sciences. So while we were basically doing the consultation process with all those stakeholders and interested parties in the region, we were looking for the gap. What is missing? What do we not yet have? Because we want to complement what we're doing already to become the center of excellence in health uh, in St. John. And there were five areas that came up right away, in addition to those two that we have already. As you might know, we have Dr. Shelley Doucette with her, with her research on um, um, patient-centered um, care. We have um, Dr. Tony Ryman with his cancer research. And so we were looking at what do else do we need? One thing that came up right away, digital health. Digital health is a huge factor for the growing health sector. So if you want to be a major player in health, in research, in health research, you have to you have to tackle digital health. The other part is also if you look at our systems, if you wanna if you wanna drive system change, what you need is policies. Um, I know a lot of people think like policies are boring and there are a lot of writing and they're not leading anywhere, but that is exactly the point. You need the right policies that are actually imp implementing and and fostering change, the change that we need. So health policy will be one area. The other part is about management uh, in the health sector and in a lot of other sectors, including universities. Very often you are um, you are climbing up the ladder, you're becoming a leader in your area because of your discipline specific expertise. But then you're in a role where you're leading, where you're managing and you need to have those skills as well. So we want to focus on health management as another pillar of our research clusters. And then, uh, of course, aging. Um, we are an aging population in New Brunswick and around the world, which is often seen as a burden because we're looking at aging as a part of it's going to cost us a lot of money. I like to see aging actually as a blessing, like growing old is something good. And what we have to deal with is the social, emotional and physical factors of growing old and actually valuing our, our elderly people around us. And so what we are looking at is aging in the community. We are at the moment, for example, in the Fredericton campus uh, in the process of hiring a Canada research chair in healthy aging, which is on the economic impact actually of healthy aging. We have a um, faculty of kinesiology that looks at the physical aspect of aging. So here we want to look at aging in the community. Families are spread around the world nowadays. So you don't have this typical three generation home anymore as some of us might have still grown up in. So how do we recreate this community? How we support socially and emotionally our elderly people so that they can stay in their communities? Or if they can't stay in their communities, that they build new communities, new families. And so that is gonna be uh, one focus of uh, our research. And then the other part is about children. So we have just um, um, recruited our um, Dr. Siba Vakri, our um, research associate in child rights and health. So we're, and this is about making health a right, a human right, because what we all know about in St. John, and we're very active with all kinds of initiatives, Living St. John is, um, is working on that, Promise Partnership is about literacy, is about opening the door of education from a very early point to support our, our uh, children to get a post-secondary education, to close that gaps that you were mentioning before compared to, to other uh, provinces in, in Canada. But it's also about health 
if you're living in poverty, health is impacted, not only from the parents' perspective, but also from the children. And what we need is evidence-based policies. And what, uh, what we're doing with this research chair on child rights and health is basically collecting this data um, across the province, across the world, to see how we can build the policies that support our children. So these are the areas. And we talked about the building before, David, and I have to mention one thing I'm really excited is, is this, uh, what we're planning to have, this entire floor for those researchers with movable walls, transparent collision space, innovation hub, all in one level so that those researchers who are working on different perspectives of health actually can collaborate and build these strong clusters. That sounds very exciting. I am very excited about it. Uh, do you think they'll mind the fact that they can't, they don't have privacy up there, or you're going to give them privacy only with these uh, with these uh, fake walls? Well, they will have privacy too. <laughs> I just like what what I like about, and if you have been up on the St. John campus, see the the Commons building. Um, there is this, you walk by and because of the glass walls, you see the activity inside and it's inspiring. You see the people, you see the students learning together. And so we wanted to kind of recreate this idea of being open and inspiring people to come in. Mm. Great. Uh, let's go back to digital health. Yeah. So um, really great to see that as a focus of this new, this new health initiative. I just want to dig a little bit deeper into that because are we talking about private sector firms there or who who's actually going to be doing like is it going to be researchers at UNB sort of studying digital health or trying to find applications in healthcare for yeah. big data or for for the cloud yeah. or for digital yeah. systems like what what's the role there between the university the researchers and the private sector um as you know UNB is one of the is the most entrepreneurial university uh, in Canada so of course there is a relation and the plan to build a strong relation with the private sector. We want to we wanna create this, uh, the, the digital health piece there is, you have the researcher who is a UNB researcher doing research uh, on our campus, but of course connecting with, with industry and private sector to commercialize and work together. And I think it is really important to connect the private sector and industry with universities in different ways. So we, we have a focus at UMB on it, uh, experiential education, for example. So getting students early into those companies and work with them and do job shadowing, um, volunteer hours, internships uh, to get this connection, but also basically to connect those firms or, or private sector companies, entrepreneurial companies with our talent at an early, at an early stage. And I see it as two bookends. So we're starting basically with um, the education, the undergrad program, graduate programs, research. And then at the other end, you have the commercialization, the private sector that is driving forward. And universities have, have always done this. And we have over, as UMB, over the last 10 years, almost created about 130 um, new companies out of, uh, out of in, in different areas. So we wanna, we wanna continue doing this and now with a focus in health and digital health. So will there be sort of physical space for these collaborations at the, at the, on the campus or how's that going to work? Is it going to be more virtual? Uh, we will have to see, like we are, we are working on this, let's say it this way. And um, there is, as you know, the campus has space to grow. So if, if the, the right collaboration comes up, we will have, we will be open for that. Yeah. So I just want to ask you a little bit about, the health policy research, mm -hmm. you talked about that as a core uh, activity here. 
I find that small jurisdictions like New Brunswick tend to be what I would call innovation takers as opposed to innovation makers. In other words, we're a small area. We wait to see what happens in Toronto or somewhere else in the world. And then we sort of try to apply it here. I think you're actually talking about trying to come up with some of those new policies uh, and new approaches here yeah. that could be then applied elsewhere. So is that fair to say? And is it is it yeah. is it realistic to think that a little place like UNB and St. John, you know, could develop health policies in specific areas that would be applicable around the world? Yes, that's like I'm absolutely convinced. Like one thing I learned, like I said, like I'm new here. So if you're new here, you can say like, why? And one thing I learned is that New Brunswick, New Brunswickers are very modest. You like you, you do great things, but you don't talk about it. And I felt like, okay, now we have to start shouting out what we have to offer. And one thing, and it's not related, so don't, don't, um, um, not related to health. Someone told me New Brunswick, and New Brunswick had developed, uh, invented the snowblower. But does anyone know this? No, because we're not talking about it. Um, the, other, the other part about being smaller is you're actually easier to get connected with all the main players. Like if you want to have a connection here with government uh, officials, you can find them and you can talk with them, which is really more difficult if you're in, in, in larger cities or in larger metropolitan areas. So I think we can, we can use our um, being so agile to actually achieve something. And I'm, I'm very convinced that we are tackling problems earlier than others might be and so that we can do this and then actually export this knowledge. It's not only exporting the snowblowers across the country, it's ex exporting um, our, our areas. And we have done this before. Dr. Dissette, for example, had a, a group of students who were going to the government and saying, like, do you have any policies that you feel like that need some work? I have here a handful of students who want to do some volunteer work on that. And they studied those policies and they were actually providing feedback how they read the policies if you're not an expert in the area. Because very often those people who have to implement the policies are not the experts or not have not developed them. So sometimes it's like a manual for a new fridge. Like, like I don't know who writes them, but um, not the ones who have to actually start getting them going. So so it, it is, I am absolutely convinced that we're actually the right spot and the right people to make, uh, to start major changes that, that will change and, um, yeah, we will, make, we will make changes. So what you're saying is you're going to develop a health policy user manual similar yes. similar to the to, yes. <laughs> to the fridge example. Okay, yeah. that's interesting, yeah. But it's also, I think, one, one, David, one important point is about the connection. Like, we can develop policies in collaboration with the people who need the policies. And I think that's a strength of our province that we can build on to have this what do you need? I can help you to get there. And we, do, we have done this in academic programming in the region. What, does, what talent is needed? Tell us what talent you need. How can we adjust our programming to fit this bill? And that is the same for policies. So what's the initial feedback from the health system, from Horizon Health or Vitalite? Is, are they open to that or are they resistant to that because they don't like university folks coming in and telling them what to do? Well, you never like people coming in and telling you what to do. That's the same wherever you go. You want to listen to what are the challenges and what are the things that work well. And then be the ex like being the, the area of expertise where you can come and help and provide the knowledge that is available. And I think that's also something that we often see universities as you have those researchers, they do great things, 
They, they publish it in very special journals and that's it. So it's for a small community. We have to get out to this point point. say like, we actually have experts in different areas. So if you come to us, like almost like a consultation process, what do you need? And we find the right people to help you to achieve what you want to achieve. It doesn't necessarily mean that I go in, do a, do a sweep through and say like, okay, now I tell you how to do this. <laughs> okay, that's good because I, you know, I, I am familiar with somewhat familiar with the health system, and I understand that it's not. Uh, yeah, you have to treat them a little differently than maybe some other sectors, but in general, this is a really good approach. Let's talk a little bit more about what you said about management. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of logic there. I mean, it's a bit like the I think they call it the Peter principle that you rise to your highest level of incompetence, and basically, in the health system, you get really good at your health discipline, whatever yeah. that is. And then you get promoted into management because you're you're a good health practitioner. You get promoted into management, yeah. but you might actually not be that good at managing staff or processes or whatever. And and UNB St. John does have a history with management and expertise mm-hmm. in that area. So tell us a little bit more about how those two things can merge. Are you going to be training, uh, you know, folks from across the country in that, or or how how is that management training philosophy or approach being applied? I think you have a new degree program or a, a master's degree program, I believe. Yeah. So so there's different different ways to approach this. So first of all is the graduate programs, the master programs you spoke about. We are developing master programs built on the undergrad interdisciplinary health program, which is uh, basically master in health, but also in, in health management. We also in the process, as you as you mentioned before, we have the, the masters in the MBA program uptown. And um, that has very specific concentrations in different areas. And we're going to add a concentration there for, for health management to allow this focus. So it's, it's still going to be a master's in business administration, but this is focus in management. And again, this was uh, developed uh, in consultation with Horizon Health Network to identify what are the needs. But there is different. So this is like the, the master's level, but there's also the, the levels are how, like uh, we call them the micro credentials, the piece where you actually do a little extra step and get the skill set and the skill set. Let's let's talk about management in the healthcare system. You might have because of your experience, exceptional people skills, but you might not have um, the skills, whatever managing time, for example. So it's not all like one fits all. So if you have these different modules, you can identify oh, this is where where I would like to see in my new role a little bit more support. So I take this little piece and then, oh, yeah, maybe I take another one, of course, and, and build it up to which could then become a master's in, in, in health management. But also that just helps immediately with um, with the challenges in the in the new job. And I think while. We develop this, as I said, in consultation with Horizon Health Networks. The idea is to to serve our region first, but it doesn't mean that we don't want to serve the rest of the country as well. So, just maybe a little bit of a broader question: Are there, how are you handling the physical versus online? Are there are there going to be more of this sort of blended learning, or are yeah. you expecting this to be one hundred percent sort of physical? learning for folks coming to St. John? I think the, it is important, like there are students who want to have this, they, whatever they start the undergrad, how I say, come for the, come for the bachelor's day for the master's. These are full-time students who have, they're building their educational um, uh, credentials. That is one part. And they want to be on campus and we want to, them to be here. But we have people who are out in the workforce. And the last thing we want to have in the healthcare system is that people are taking a leave of their jobs 
where we need them desperately where they are to basically upgrade their credentials. So the idea is, like you said, to have uh, the courses available online, um, asynchronous, so that you can do them how they fit within your your work schedule. Small bits, that's why micro-credentials, because the last thing you want to do when you're stressed out in your job is taking a course. So it has to be something where you can, like little bits and you can, little bites and you can basically build some up. But I'm a strong believer that in order to be successful and, and enjoy your learning experience, you need peers and adult learners. So we want to build this cohort that comes together and maybe have a week in the summer where you're all on campus, live in our new gorgeous residence that will be ready in January. Enjoy the outdoor, come here, get to know your classmates, and then you go back home, do your job, and take those courses. But you have this group of students that works together, and then maybe coming back at a later point to kind of reunite. And, and all. I think it's important to build that cohort feeling, even if you're taking online courses. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, particularly for uh, people that are in mid-career, right? It's yeah. it's very difficult to sort of take long trenches of time uh, and uh, and study. So it's great to hear this discussion about micro-credentialing and, and, and trying to accommodate people as they're in mid-career, but they need these specific skills. Uh, wanted to ask you a little bit about, you talked about aging population. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate your view on that. Aging is a blessing. It's something good. We need to value our, our elderly people. As I get to be of a certain age, you know, uh, in, in a few years, uh, I guess I'll be considered elderly. And I hopefully, right, because I think you're right. There is a sense that elderly people are starting to be viewed more as a cost to mm-hmm. society. And if that sort of view calcifies, then you could be in a situation where there's, there's quite a bit of hostility toward yeah. older people, which makes no sense at all. You know, they've contributed their whole lives to the to the province, to the they've contributed taxes, they've contributed to our quality of life, our society. Um, and yes, the health healthcare costs do do rise um, with age, mm-hmm. but still, as, as you say, this is not this is not uh, elderly people or age, the aging population is not is not a problem. It is a blessing. But I do I do want to ask you. So, but part of the conversation here, part of the initiative you know, has to be about looking at new ways of doing things, mm-hmm. new ways of providing health care mm-hmm. and so on, because, you know, there is there is that cost curve, right, yeah. that, that everybody yeah. keeps showing. And we do have to try to bend that curve or at least find ways to ensure we have the revenue, uh, mm-hmm. the tax revenue to, to, to properly fund health care because it's a service that everybody really uh, cherishes in this country, yeah. in this province. Yeah. And, and I agree, like we, we can't we can't ignore the financial impact um, our uh, our healthcare has on the budget for the province, and as you said, if you're not doing anything in 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 ten years, seventy five percent of our budget will be only dedicated to healthcare and um, in in a big in a bigger picture. And this is not only like financially not feasible, but it's also from a human perspective not feasible. So we have to do things different. And I think that is the important part that kind of triggered this idea of this interdisciplinary program, because. We can't do little tweaking here and there anymore. It's not going to get us. We need major, major changes. We need bold thinkers. We need people who are tackling change as something that we have to do and that is positive, like systemic reforms. And systemic reforms are painful. Um, And we know this from, from a personal perspective. If you have your habits and you have to change your habits at home, sometimes it can be a chair that sits in a different corner and you're bumping into it all the time because your motor system has 
been practicing to walk in a different way. So systemic change is difficult and and can be very painful, but we have to do things differently. And I think UNB is a strong partner in doing things differently. And universities in general are driving forces of innovation. And I think we have to go, we have to inclu- include universities in, this, in a stronger way. And we want to do this with this integrated health initiative to so see like we are offering as those bold thinkers, innovation, but that's something now. We're also creating the next generation of thinkers that are problem solvers, that are prepared for jobs in the healthcare sector that are not even existing now, that have this adaptive skill set. We are not anymore in a, living in an environment where you learn a trade and 40 years later you retire in the same trade with not having had to do anything anymore. There's a constant change, and I think it's something that makes us feel very often uncomfortable. So we also have to learn to be comfortable with change and and uh, to adapt those changes to better our society and to better to better the life of our people. So that makes a lot of sense to me, right? I mean, I, I worry a little bit in New Brunswick about the university sector in general, not necessarily UNB, but you know the number of enrolled students has been going down. Mm-hmm. The share of the national amount of higher education research has been going down, yeah. um, you know, and, and it seems to me that this is the time when we actually want more out of our university system and our college system as well. But, you know, we have a lot more people retiring every year than ever, ever before. Mm-hmm. We have these challenges, some of which you've articulated this morning. So what's your outlook in general for the university sector do you think it is going to play a more important role in our society over the next decade or 20 years or is it going to kind of continue to slowly decline in its relative importance in our in our in our province i think universities always had have played their roles they were different in the past than they are now and i think it is it's going to be important though that's my 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 opinion it has to be it will be important that universities adapt to this as well and UMB is very good situated for that. As I mentioned before, innovation and entrepreneurship always has been a part of, of the history. Um, the St. John campus community has been a part of uh, the history or is part of our present. The campus wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the community and it would not be there anymore if it wasn't for the community standing up for, for their campus. And I think it's it's about changing the vision and be becoming a part of, of the innovation but also to become part of the grand challenges in our society. And health is one of them. And so the health focus, while we have had programs at UNB always that have a health focus, they were predominantly in areas where we actually have restricted enrollment, where caps are given, the programs are at at cap. So there is no growth potential anymore because of uh, uh, costs of programming or because of the space. So with this new undergrad program, we're actually tapping the first time into a program that is open to as many students who want to come and uh, but also that creates a foundation for different areas for the health sector and there is the 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 biggest growth in employment is the health sector but also like it's more than nurses and doctors because the majority of the people working in a hospital are actually not nurses and doctors there are other people that work there and and get the, the hospitals going keeps them going every day so it's important to to realize that and to prepare students for this sector. And, and I think we're going to do a really good job with this new programming that we're developing. So let's come back a little bit to the to the research piece. Mm-hmm. Um, 
of course, you've talked about policy research, you've talked about digital health, you've talked about it. So there's a pretty, there's quite a range there, right? There's yeah. sort of upstream versus downstream. Um, so I'm just trying to understand from you if this is actually going to lead, do you think, to new startup companies uh, and new business investment in St. John, or is it primarily focused more on policy or uh, upstream kinds of research? And also, is it, is it does it involve clinical trials and that kind of research, sort of pure healthcare research, or is it mostly on the on the system side of things? So, no both. So clinical trials, I just want to say, like, their clinical trials um, are research that are done within the hospital, and and we keep this there. That doesn't mean that you cannot do applied research related to healthcare, as Shelley Doucette is doing with her Navicare, for example. How can we? How can we better navigate the system for people who have uh, complex health issues, whether it's children or, or um, older people or like doesn't matter. But um, I think it's it's going to be a mixture of both. Like if you look at the focus of innovation in the program, the capstone in that program is actually asking students in teams of from different discipline, disciplinary background to identify a problem in our health system and finding a solution. And this could be a policy change. It could be an app. It, it could be a technology that helps a tool that helps to, to um, solve a problem in, in the um, health um, sector or in, in, in areas like health technology is going to be big. So I would say it's a plan of both, but I also want to say like the idea is to attract investors to come to the St. John region and to settle here because of the reputation that we're building about um, health excellence in the area. And while the Integrated Health Initiative is focusing on what we're going to do at UMB, UMB is a part, St. John campus is a part of the region. And we have had these close connections before. And the MBA program and the combination there with, uh, with um, businesses in uh, Uptown is an example of how to do this. And we want to kind of take this model of connecting with the business sector, with the private sector, right from the get-go to attract more investors to come to the region. And of course, we are working with Opportunities New Brunswick to, to help to make this happen. So I might ask you a little bit of a tricky question. Mm -hmm. I apologize. Um, New Brunswick is a small province. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there is health research going on in say Moncton or Fredericton uh, you know there's the Atlantic Cancer Research Institute there's you know UDM uh, mm -hmm. is, is doing some things is there and as you I think the community college is even part of your yep. sort of thinking in St. John is there or are there discussions provincially about health research that you've been involved in or that you've seen like is, is are we looking at this sort of are we, is there a provincial view here or is this mostly focused on the on the urban centers like whatever you're good at you're good at or whatever monk is good at they're good at or whatever no there's always like to me it has to be more than the region like yes it's st john campus it's going to build a reputation for st john which will be really important for our economic growth in in st john for population growth it's linked the initiative is linked to all those um strategic plans of governments of horizon health uh, wellness strategic plan. So it's it's a it's a bold vision, a bold initiative, but it's part of something bigger. 
It's not isolated and it's just something that happens in St. John on the campus. It has impact on the province, whether it is uh, the salary that comes with all the people that are coming with new programming, whether it is a research that leads to additional research funding coming in the province. Uh, we are not doing very well there, so we have to we have to up our game there. But because New Brunswick is smaller, it still is possible to do all those collaborations. So we're not working in isolation. And I, I wouldn't see this. If you have a focus on interdisciplinary approaches, that means like you're also working in collaboration and in meaningful collaboration. And that's that's uh, broader than only the St. John region, but it will benefit the St. John region and the province. And I think actually Canada too. So I wanted to come back just quickly to aging in the community because mm-hmm. I forgot to ask you a question earlier. My parents are both in their 80s. And they're living in a rural community, um, pretty well cut off from the urban centers. They're about, you know, a half an hour car ride to Miramichi and more than an hour, hour and a half to Moncton or Fredericton. Um, a decade ago, I saw a presentation on the possibility of using technology in the home for monitoring for mm-hmm. for a variety of things, right? This idea of, of digital health to support uh elderly people living in their homes or remaining in their homes longer. My parents have no technology. There there hasn't been any, um, they don't even have a cell phone. As much as I'd like them to have one, they don't even have a cell phone. So I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, I know the government a few years ago received quite a bit of money from the federal government, the provincial government received from the federal government quite a bit of money for an aging in place or an aging healthcare strategy or for for Mm -hmm. new initiatives or, or innovation or whatever. But I don't see a lot of that. And that's just my own experience with my parents. But um, what's your view about aging in rural areas? Because it does create a lot of challenges, right, in terms of access to specialized healthcare resources, hospitals, but also the isolation issue, you know, access to community and network of other people in your age group. But on the other hand, a lot of these people are very committed to their rural communities. They don't want to leave. And in some cases, they really can't leave because they're living in their home and they, there's not a, a resale yeah. market for that yeah. home. So what do you have any thoughts on that based on what you've seen since you've been in Atlantic Canada? I Yes, I have my thoughts on that. Uh, do I have the solution yet? No. But there's, there's two, two factors to this. One is we have people who are leaving rural areas, whether New Brunswick, Nova Scotia or PI, and going to the more urban areas because of the excess of health care. Um, on the other hand side, we have people who are leaving the big metropolitan areas, Ontario, for example, to come to New Brunswick and Nova Scotia <clears throat> for retirement because they see the value of, of our, excuse me, <clears throat> of, our, um, of our lifestyle here on, on, the, on the East Coast. Um, technology is a driving force moving forward. It connects people, as we have seen through COVID, um, how, how important it is to have um, the connection. So we have to work, we have to get government and industry to work on our our access of um, internet in rural areas so that this can happen. But on the other hand side, something that, and I grew up in a rural little village in, in Germany, is um, also while we are trying to solve those technical issues or technological t- issues around technology is coming back to the human factor. Like when I grew up, when my grandmother was alone because we were traveling somewhere, there were neighbors that came. And I know this is something that I experienced when I moved to Nova Scotia. I wanted to be out in the woods and coming from from uh, from uh, uh, high populated areas. So you want to have space 
around and I had like it was new and the first thing that happened was that the neighbors came over and uh, offered me a tea because I was in a construction uh, and it was winter it was cold come over warm up and I think we have to also like I'm not saying that we're not doing this anymore but the social emotional aspect of aging is so important and we underestimate this we think it's about giving you a drive to the hospital no it's coming for a tea um and sitting and spend some time. And I think in our very, very business, and that's my, my personal opinion, our very, very busy lifestyles now, we forget about those moments of quietness, of sitting together, of reading the newspaper together, or just having a chat over a tea. And I think we have to utilize this and we have to get our students to be part of it. So when we are talking about aging in the community, we're also talking about initiatives where we have our students who might come from metropolitan areas who study in St. John, to actually do these kind of activities, go out, um, meet, learn, learn about us and our lifestyle and, and share so that it is easier. And if it's going for groceries or if it's just having a conversation. And I think we have to learn this very busy millennium generation to value the time of a personal conversation over a tweet. So you're going to teach students how to have conversations with elderly New Brunswickers? Yes. And okay. we're doing, actually, this is part, there's one course that is communication and health is about this. It's not only about how to talk about your, your diagnosis. That's a medical part. It is about having com uh, conversations and listening to what the elderly people have to offer, their experience, their childhood. And like, I'm a developmental psychologist. So one of my first tasks of my class is compare your childhood with the childhood of your parents and your grandparents and tell me what is still the same and what has changed. And one thing that comes always out of this exercise is the value of a conversation. Well, I think that's great. I mean, you know, again, I have little experience with that, but my discussions with my parents would be that if they're treated nicely, mm -hmm. that in many ways that's considered more of a, a better outcome than if they have a better health outcome, right? Like it's how they, how they're treated when they inter interact with the health system that really matters to them because yeah. it's a personal thing. Right. So, yeah. so I think that's really good. Uh, I just have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. um, um, and it's a more general question, so you can feel free to deflect if you want. Um, but I want to ask you about what you think we can learn from Germany. You have a lot of experience in Germany. I see from your resume, you were involved with the Max Planck Institute. Mm -hmm. We've all heard about the Fraunhofer Institutes and the focus on the Mittelstand or the mm -hmm. mid-sized companies mm -hmm. in Germany. Based on what you know from that environment to what you see uh, here in Atlantic Canada, New Brunswick, is there anything we can learn on the healthcare front, but even, even more broadly than that? There, like, one thing I think is... Um, to be proud about what you have achieved. And I, I mentioned this earlier when we started, where we said, like, um, we are we are doing great things here in New Brunswick. We just not talk about it. It's not about bragging, but it's about proud, being proud about what you have achieved. Um, one thing I learned at the Max Planck is uh, that we want to actually establish when we do our research clusters is bring experts together um, to focus on an area, you can't be everything to everyone. 
So focus on your strengths, build on the strengths and get research clustered around the strengths. And Max Planck has done that very successfully for a very long time. So we want to kind of mimic this in a, in a little bit of a smaller setting around health on the St. John campus. It's kind of this focus on, on an area where you know you can make an impact and, and can foster change and be innovative rather than doing everything a little bit. Do focus on and focus on things that are having an impact on our society. And that's something I don't know if I learned this in Germany, but I learned this in growing up in a rural community in Germany is stand up for each other, care for each other and help each other and then have the ideas together and make a change happen. So apparently Ganong was the company that created the first chocolate bar which is probably not as uh, profound as the first snow, snow blower. And I guess there is some controversy around that. But at the end of the day, I do, I do agree with you uh, when it comes to sort of standing up for your community and, and uh, you know, yelling to the highest hills the, what you have accomplished as a, as, a, as a jurisdiction. So just finally here, is this vision for the health, um, integrated health initiative, is this, theoretical or is this actually going ahead is it funded do you have the money do you have the funds are you are you actually doing this and if you are when 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 will it start happening when will we start teaching when will we start doing research how how long are we talking about so so we have started with the undergrad program first cohort started this september um actually higher than we had anticipated and we were very um uh um, lucky that even this COVID that had a clear impact on enrollment across the country we have our first cohort here teaching, and they are on campus having face-to-face uh, uh, courses with their professors. Uh, so that has started. We are um, now in full recruiting cycle for next year. We have, uh, as I mentioned, Dr. Siba Bakri joined us. So she is the first uh, research associate, and we're building a, um, the research chair around the child rights and health. So we have started with this. Uh, we are in full activities to try to get the funding for the building because we need this infrastructure to attract the top-notch researchers um, and to get them started immediately. So the building is around um, providing the space for this vision. And of course, we hope we are shovel ready. Plans are done. Blueprints are ready. All we need is um, commitment from from government, federal and provincial um, to get started. And uh, I hope that we can get the shovel in the ground ASAP. Dr. Petra Hauf, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Growing Pains. Thank you, David, for having me. Growing Pains with David Campbell is produced by me, Matt George. Is engineered by the great Zachary Pelche and is part of the Unsettled Media Podcast Network.